1: This podcast is produced by podcastandradio.com.
0: Small Biz. Small biz America. The Brain.
1: Our guest on this segment is a recognized leader in sales management with over 25 years of experience around sales management consulting and coaching. Suzanne Paling has helped more than 55 companies improve their sales performance and processes with clients across the spectrum. Product and service firms in the manufacturing, software, publishing, distribution, medical, and construction industries. And uh, by the way, Curated selected her blog to be one of their top 50 sales management blogs. Uh, Suzanne writes for Entrepreneur.com, American Business Magazine, and she publishes a monthly newsletter. And she was profiled in the New York Times small business column. She's the author of two award winning books The Accidental Sales Manager, available on the Entrepreneur Press. And the one we're going to talk about today, The Sales Leader's Problem Solver, published by Career Press. Suzanne Paling. welcome to the program. Thank you, David. Great to have you. Uh, Of course, we've done this before. What led to the book? Talk to us a little bit. Top level, The Sales Leader's Problem Solver. What is this about?
2: Every year, I see really strong salespeople get promoted to a sales leadership position, receive little or no training, and then just be expected to do their job. They put in long hours trying to figure out what to do. Often they just don't know how to go about solving some of the most common sales staff problems. As they progress in their career, especially if they want to work for smaller-sized companies, they don't have any type of mentor with sales management experience. They need guidance on handling a tricky issue and wish they had a toll-free number for a sales management hotline so they could talk to someone about it. Hmm. I hope my new book, The Sales Leader's Problem Solver, provides some of that help and assistance coaching and mentoring.
1: Beautiful, Suzanne. What are some of the problems that seem to bubble up from your consulting experience? What do you see sales managers struggling with today?
2: That's a great question. In the book, I recommend common sense solutions for 15 of the most common sales management problems I do see in my consulting practice. Mm. There's the inconsistent sales rep. They're selling only to existing customers. Social media paralysis salesperson fiefdom, trouble with titles, CRM noncompliance, the mysterious remote rep, unethical behavior, misaligned territories, the selling sales manager, the superstar sales manager, a loosely defined sales cycle, the mediocre rep, the unqualified vice president of sales, and a high base salary.
1: Wow, so there's a list you just ticked off, and I would mm-hmm. love to, and I know our listeners probably are curious about is there one or two that we can unpack a little bit during this segment this time we have together, just to give people a feel for you and how you tend to like to approach these with sales managers, these issues, these problems and challenges, and then also to um, get a sense of how you write about how you can help them solve some of these things outside of working with them one on one, which I know you do.
2: Sure. The social media paralysis Mm. is a big problem. This is the rep that has to do so much research that they can't get around to picking up the phone and calling people. Mm. They have to look at their Twitter feed, Facebook, LinkedIn. Then they have to go on the customer or potential customer's website and do research there. They research and research and research, and then it gets to the point where they're paralyzed. They're afraid to pick up the phone because they might not have absolutely, you know, every bit of information they possibly can get on that person.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's like paralysis through analysis, isn't it?
2: Yes. Yes. And with as much social media and as much information as we all have available to us, this is problematic. They almost get scared to approach the customer.
1: Is that particular phenomenon generation specific?
2: Yeah. I think it's gotten worse. There have always been sales reps who were hesitant to pick up the phone Mm -hmm. there were always reps who would run out to the library or phone a company and ask to get sent their uh, prospectus and talk to people they they would always just seek out a lot of information before picking up the phone it was really a fear of cold calling but now it's just work because it's right at all of our fingertips
1: Yeah, I was going to ask if this is avoidance behavior. You answered the question uh, just a moment ago. So this is one of several ways that sales professionals can put something in the way of having to actually connect with someone and talk with them about the problem they can help them solve, right?
2: Correct. And no matter what the problem, David, I always say to business owners and sales leaders, put a plan in place before you hire the first or an additional sales rep. And one of those issues that you can deal with is social media paralysis. You know, what in your organization represents the correct amount of pre-sale research that a salesperson needs to do before they at some point need to turn around and pick up the phone and call the decision maker Mm -hmm. and try to get a conversation started with them? Mm -hmm. So I walk them through the steps of talking to the rep about this and, and approaching the problem. But it's hard to approach the problem if you don't have the processes in place to talk to them about it.
1: Would you say that the book, uh, The Sales Leader's Problem, Solver, is more targeted to the manager of sales reps, or can the reps also glean a lot of stuff from it?
2: That's a really interesting question. And while it is targeted towards sales leaders, as a rep, you could read it and, I think, come away with an idea of maybe how to help solve your own problem. For instance, the social media paralysis or the inconsistent sales rep, the rep who won't cold call, uh, the rep who wants a title that really doesn't make any sense. You could see yourself in some of these scenarios and understand it from a management perspective.
1: Well, it comes back to communication. And, you know, as you were ticking through the list of uh, the challenges, the problems that are, uh, I'm sure, in the book, as well as in all of the work you do, it sounds like these are, to some extent, the pillars of a sales uh, plan, as you just mentioned, having a plan for your sales team, right?
2: Yes. It's the precursor. It's the pillars, if you will, to having a sales manual in place. Wow. Okay. So that you can speak to people about what your processes are before you onboard them.
1: Well, the hiring thing is, is so much, I'm imagining, a part of what you work with. And and also, just the—I'll call it the emotional intelligence quotient. I mean, you're dealing with a team that may have a variety of different types of personalities, and mm-hmm. the challenges you have described—they strike me as their symptoms of these personalities that you know they have their nuances, their preferences, their their cognitive biases, their personality biases, and all of those things. So, I guess a part of what you do is really help the sales manager understand, first of all, the type of Manager, they are, and secondly, how to best communicate so that what they're saying lands with the person they're talking to, right?
2: Absolutely. In the case of the is- inconsistent sales rep, for yeah, instance, yeah. I unpack a variety of scenarios because not all inconsistent sales reps have the identical personality and they're not all inconsistent in the same way. You know, right. for instance, one rep may have three solid good months and then fall apart in the fourth, another may be down one month, up another. So you have to identify the pattern and then sit down and speak with the individual person. But the overall guiding factor is you have to be able to say to someone in this organization, if you are below quota more than two months in a row, the following happens. So that no matter what their personality type is, they understand the rules of engagement of the company they're employed by before they accept the job. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you ever have to deal with the what I'll call the upstream management for the sales manager for whom you are doing the work for or coaching? In other words, do they have challenges uh, in terms of who they report to and their understanding of the challenges that are downstream to that manager?
2: What does that look like? In every single chapter, there is a section on approaching your direct supervisor. And in my work, when I coach sales leaders, I try to get them to think about how their direct supervisor is viewing this and to approach them in a neutral fact-based way. Have your data ready, have the problem solved already so that you can talk to them from your point of view. Yeah. But yes. they at- Every single chapter, there's a section on approaching your direct supervisor.
1: I'm really glad I asked that question. I, I, I must admit, full transparency, I haven't read the manuscript, but I'm aware enough of the work you do and, and the, the general contents of things to certainly to have this conversation and unpack the book for our listeners. Why don't companies offer sales managers training? Is this a function of budget or bandwidth or, or do some do it or just don't do it effectively? What's your take on all of that?
2: It's a combination of a lot of different things. Sales training gets put in the budget. Sales management training does not. Most sales managers are former superstar salespeople, or they were really solid producers. Company presidents assume that the salesperson is segueing into a similar position, and if they were good at sales, they will be good at sales management. They'll figure things out. They don't need training. The problem with that thinking is that the sales management position has almost nothing in common with being a salesperson. It's a completely different job. And I think most people who accept any kind of a sales leadership position will tell you that within 45 minutes of accepting the job, they get dragged into some kind of problem. They rarely get any kind of training.
1: It's really a behavioral sciences kind of applied psychology thing uh, at that level. I mean, in other words, I would guess that they don't have to know a whole lot about the product or service they're selling. It's really not about the content, is it?
2: No, they don't have to be product experts. They need to understand what a sales manager does. They need to understand that sales leaders work through other people and that their job is to motivate.
1: Our guest is Suzanne Paling. She is founder of Sales Management Services, the website, one and the same, www.salesmanagementservices.com. And we're discussing her book, The Sales Leader's Problem Solver. I was wondering in our time together, can we unpack one more sort of uh, what you might call an inflection point in that list that you gave earlier?
2: Sure. Let's talk about the mediocre rep the one who always just makes quota year in and year out while others experience 20 to 40% increases. Mm. How do you enhance a situation like that? First, get the facts. Compare their performance to the group average. If the group average is 116% of quota and they come in at 101%, determine how much their territory loses every quarter. Next, solve the problem for yourself first. What would you do if no one could tell you no? In this case, the sales leader might determine that if the rep goes two months or two quarters in a row, depending on the length of your sales cycle, they will will go on probation. I then recommend leaders show the plan to their direct supervisor, sell them on it, present some charts and graphs, work together to address the issue, compromise with them if need be. Once that work is completed, the sales leader can begin speaking to the rep.
1: Okay. So a whole process really To manage that. And I love the idea of measuring and comparing to averages. Everything's about driving data and numbers. I mean, without measuring, you really have no basis to be able to improve, right?
2: If you don't measure, if you don't come to the table with data, you're really just bargaining with the rep on an emotional level, saying things like, we really need you to make more cold calls or we really need you to do less pre-call research. You you don't get anywhere with the conversation. When you bring data to the table, when you say that the most successful reps for their first call conduct about 10 minutes or so of pre-call research, then they attempt to connect with the decision maker, now you have something concrete that you can work with and they can see how a successful person at the company operates and what they do and don't do rather than just an exchange of stop spending so much time on social media before you pick up the phone.
1: Right, I did want to track back to social media. I mean, we're in a very rapidly changing environment, you know, business all over. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm, I, there is a place for social media. Is there not? Is does it come in more with the prospecting part, or or how do you contextualize social media?
2: I think there is a place for it, and I think it's people, customers, clients expect you to know a little bit more about their organization because there is so much information mm-hmm. available. What you have to do as a company is decide beforehand, what should the sales rep know? What is reasonable to know before they pick up the phone to make a cold call versus what is reasonable for them to know before they make a presentation? And those are two entirely different groups of information. They don't know absolutely everything about the company before making an introductory call. If they're going to make a formal presentation, they're farther along in the sales process, and they need to know more. And there's a component
1: of sales, and we've covered it, we' to, touched on it, this emotional side, the ability to connect with people. And mm-hmm. you know as we were talking about the social media paralysis uh, issue, uh, and the over the over um, analysis, that, that can be a, an avoidance behavior. I mean, isn't it really, at the end of the day, this is my simplification, isn't a lot of this about just simply really authentically connecting with someone whose problem you can solve?
2: Absolutely. You have to think about the company, what their issues might be, and what you as a company can help them solve, change, what have you. And you have to be able to say it in a very succinct, from the heart type of way.
1: Yeah. That's beautiful. Services is your company. So what are the different ways that you work? How do you work mm-hmm. with your clients?
2: I work my, with my clients in a number of different ways. Sometimes I am the outsourced sales manager. Sometimes I help my clients hire their first or subsequent sales leader. And I coach sales leaders at all levels, sales managers, directors of sales, VPs of sales. I also do assessment work where I come into a company and use an online assessment to assess the salespeople, the sales leaders, and we look at the data and decide where it is they are very strong and where they could use some improvement.
1: Do you work with all different kinds? Do they run the gamut in terms of the types of products or services that your clients uh, produce? And behind that question, are there any industries or sectors where A certain interesting exception is made to the way you approach the process.
2: I work with all manner of companies in all different kinds of industries. I would say the only limiting factor, David, is that I am strictly business to business. And there really is very little difference in the way I approach any of my clients. They assure me that they're very different from any other company I've ever worked with. (laughs) Always. But I don't approach them any differently. I assess the salespeople and the sales leaders. The first order of business is to review what the assessments have told me about the different players. And we go from there. So really, there is no different approach.
1: Wow, so fascinating. Suzanne Paling. Once again, the website, www.salesmanagementservices.com. She's the author of a couple of books. We've talked about them before The Accidental Sales Manager from Entrepreneur Press, and uh, the latest discussed herein, The Sales Leaders Problem Solver. And that's on Career Press. Suzanne, as always, great to be with you.
2: It's nice to talk to you again. I appreciate you having me on your show, David.
1: All right, we'll do it again. Thanks, Suzanne. Thank you. Small Biz America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.